Well, good morning. Welcome each one of you to our service this morning. It's going to be a little bit different here this morning. We are missing quite a few people. Several of them are at a uh, conference this morning. And... Uh, Definitely leaves us with a few less numbers, but we are still here to worship the Lord and and hear from Him this morning. There are uh, no limits in numbers for the Lord to be able to speak to us. He says, where two or three are gathered in His name, there I will be also. And so we can have that confidence this morning that uh, he is here with us. So most of the people that are gone include literally all of our worship team. So I will be leading you in a few hymns this morning. We'll go back to some old-fashioned hymn singing. And with our uh, smaller numbers, we'll try to keep it uh, fairly simple and the simple songs that we know. So feel free to... uh, Pick your selections, and and throughout this time, I'd like to hear from you with uh, prayer requests, your testimonies, and and if you have a uh, song that reflects your testimony of the week, feel free to pick that and share why that song is is special to you. So we'll we'll take that time now, and uh, if you don't mind, be in prayer for me a little bit. I've had a pretty exhausting week, so I'm feeling pretty tired up here. I'll share a little bit more about that in a bit, but uh, I'll try not to fall asleep while we're singing, and if you pray that the Lord gives me some energy, I would appreciate that. Turn your songbooks to number 202, and we're going to try to be joyful singing here this morning, so we're going to see if we can reflect that in the song, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Number 202. Joyful, joyful, we adore Thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before the opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. All thy works with joy surround the earth and heaven reflect thy ways. Stars and angels sing around thee, center up unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, Flowery meadow, flashing sea, chanting bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. Thou art giving and forgiving, 
ever blessing, ever blessed, wellspring of the joy of living, ocean depth of happy rest. Thou our Father, Christ our brother, all who live in love are thine. Teach us how to love each other, lift us to the joy divine. Mortals, join the mighty chorus, which the morning stars began. Father, love is reigning o'er us. Brother, love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward, victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music leads us onward in the triumph song of life. Amen. What are your selections, testimonies, prayer requests? Anything you have on your heart to share? Now's the time. share a little bit, um, speaking of a foundation, um, most of you know, my mother's house burned down, down to the ground, down to the foundation a week ago, a week ago yesterday, I spent the week uh, in Arizona with her, helping her cope with that, nothing left but the foundation, but there is that foundation there, and it all looks pretty terrible right now. And uh, it's a real mess if you've ever seen a house that's burned down. But the foundation is, is still there. In this case, I don't know how <laughs> usable that foundation is, so this uh, illustration may break down there. But that foundation is there, and, and I think that can be an illustration of, of our lives with, if Christ is our foundation. Whatever happens in your life, whatever is stripped away, if he is your foundation, that foundation will remain. How firm a foundation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said you unto Jesus for refuge have fled? Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed. I, I am thy God, and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by thy gracious omnipotent hand. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Anyone else? Three hundred seventy nine. I love, <clears throat> I love the word picture of, in the chorus of, of this song, and, and pay attention to that. If, if what is described in, in the verse part, of the first two lines of this song, if that isn't love, then all the rest of this stuff doesn't even exist. So pay attention to the word pictures in this, in this song. It's beautiful. He left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny was the lonely hill of Golgotha, there to lay down his life for me. If that isn't love, the ocean is dry, there's no stars in the sky, and the sparrow can't fly. If that isn't love, then heaven's a myth. There's no feeling like this If that isn't love Even in death he remembered 
the thief hanging by his side. He spoke with love and compassion. Then he took him to paradise. If that isn't love, the ocean is dry. There's no stars in the sky. And the sparrow can fly. If that isn't love, then heaven's a myth. There's no feeling like this. If that isn't Number 989. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the king. No more crying there, we are going to see the king. No more crying there, we are going to see the king. No more crying there, we are going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the king. No more dying there, we are going to see the King. No more dying there, we are going to see the King. No more dying there, we are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King. Turn over to number 800. This is a very familiar song. What a friend we have in Jesus. Um, a little bit more about my week, or a little bit more of a of a backstory. Imagine your life in the last six months. Well, let's. Think of the last year of her life with, with COVID and how uh, different everything has been. But uh, 
What would your response be if in your life, six months' time, you lost a spouse of 50 years? You totaled your car. Your house burned down. You lost your primary source of income. What's your response? Now, my response my response in a lot lesser situations in the last year has been more a frustration than a simple faith in God sometimes, unfortunately. Well, that story, those things happened to my mother in the last six months. But you know, all us kids gathered around her, supported her through the loss of my father, and now through the loss of her house. Guess who the strong and encouraging one has been? It's been my mother. And I know this song was, was special to her that she's, because you know, I, I still have Jesus. He's still my friend, That's, and that was, as I spent the week, this past week with her in Arizona, trying to uh, recover from the ashes of a burnt home, where her possessions of 70 years were. This has been her testimony that she still has Jesus, and that to me is, is an inspiration to me, and uh, let that inspire each one of you that no matter uh, no matter what goes wrong, you have your a friend in Jesus, and that's actually the origins of this song came from extremely difficult situations. Let me read you the story of the man Joseph Scriven wrote this song. In 19, or sorry, in 1884, a young Irishman, Joseph Scriven, had completed his college education and returned home to marry his sweetheart. As he was traveling to meet her on the day before the planned wedding, he came upon a horrible scene. His beautiful fiancée tra- tragically laying under the water in a creek bed after falling off her horse. Later, Scriven moved to Canada, eventually fell in love again, only to experience devastation once more when she became ill and died just weeks before their marriage. For the second time, this humble Christian felt the loss of the woman he loved. The following year, he wrote a poem to his mother in Ireland that described the deep friendship with Jesus that he had cultivated in prayer through the hardships of his life. The poem was published anonymously at first under the title, Pray Without Ceasing. Ten years later, he finally acknowledged this well-loved text had been written by him and his friend, or sorry, had been written by him and his friend, Jesus. In 1868, attorney Charles Converse set the text to a tune and renamed it, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. So, a young man that... uh, lost the woman he loved twice right before he was about to be 
married, and this was his testimony, and and didn't even, you know, acknowledge the hardship of it, but just simply wrote this as a poem originally. What a friend we have in Jesus. Number 800 in your book. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Oh, because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with the Lord of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee. Take it to the Lord in prayer. His arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Amen. Number 701, my Jesus, I love thee. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I love thee because thou hast first loved me. 
and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love before wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. In mansions of glory, and endless delight. I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. Sing with the glittering crown on my brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Anyone else? Turn to number 410. This will be our last one for now. And uh, think of the song, He Leadeth Me. Are we willing to acknowledge that? Not only just acknowledge that today, but are we willing to allow him to lead? And are we willing to follow? Willing to answer that call today? He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me, by his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful follower I would be, for by his hand he leadeth me. Sometimes mid scenes of deepest gloom, sometimes 
where Eden's bowers bloom. By waters fill or troubled sea, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me, by his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful power I would be for by his leadeth me. <coughs> oh, sorry about that. Right there. Now, which verse were we on? I forgot. Third verse. And when my task on earth is done, when by thy grace the victory's won, in death's cold wave I will not flee, since God through Jordan leadeth me. He leadeth me, he me by his own hand he leadeth me his faithful power I would be for by his hand he leadeth me all right thank you for uh, pitching in in this time of our service and singing out um or announcements, um, I'm feeling so disconnected from our schedule. <laughs> Do we have anything this week? Nothing this week, okay. So uh, no scheduled midweek or any services like that. Um, be in prayer for those that are not here with us today, that God would bless them where they're at. Um, after the service, as usual, we do have a meal, so... Everyone, please uh, feel free to stay here for that and enjoy that time of fellowship as well. Normally at this time we would have some children's songs, but since Carrie and Jason aren't here to lead that, I think we'll forego that this morning. We'll just take a little bit of a, a break here and allow you to get up and greet your neighbor. It shouldn't be, take too long because uh, you don't have too many neighbors in here this morning, but... Uh, we do have coffee and tea and water in the back there. Please make use of that as well. So we'll just uh, go ahead and take five minutes or so here to uh, get up and uh, stretch your legs a little bit more so maybe the kids don't get uh, too uh, crazy sitting for too long of a time. Um, I know mine will appreciate that. And then we'll uh, come back in about five minutes for... Uh, the message this morning. So feel free to greet your neighbor and get something to drink. Uh, as I stand up to introduce um, Brother David and his wife, I forget your name, Nicole, and their sweet little uh, children, I uh, the Lord brought this word to my heart. In Acts... Chapter 11, 
There was a new church that had just begun and had started in the city of Antioch. And some had uh, gotten, become born again, and the news, in verse 22, and the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And some time ago, maybe a few months ago, um, actually perhaps it's almost been a year ago when you first came to that uh, elders meeting and shared with the elders at WCF and I was there. I think that's the first time that we met that I recalled, and as David was sharing there um, with the ministry team his, his heart for missions and for the work that God is calling him and his family to, the Lord just did a, a knitting of my heart with you um, because that is God's call on our life, my life, and your life, all of our lives, every one of God's children. God doesn't just save us to take us home to heaven. He saves us to be a witness on the earth, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, with others, to be ambassadors of heaven to earth. And that call looks different in every one of our lives, but it's there, and it's clear. And I witnessed we had fellowship around that call, and then a few months ago, we had coffee together, and David began to specifically share with me some of personal call that he and his wife feel uh, the Lord is leading them to. And the Lord just put in my heart to, to um, ask him to come and share. Well, actually, I think you had reached out to me earlier. Uh, and, and so I introduced David and Nicole and their family. They have been through some fiery trials in, in the past uh, months. How old is um, Peter? Six months old. And uh, he's a miracle baby. Uh, if you uh, have followed their Facebook page at all and just seen the deep trial of his birth uh, that they went through in the time he spent in the hospital. How long was it? 36 days. And so they have a little gift of life that is a miracle. He may share some of that with us. So I want to introduce him to you. And, uh, and as he shares the word, um, we pray that the Lord will bless you and give you... Uh, Grace to share, please put on your heart. Um, if you'll come up, David, and I'll, I'll pray with you. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for our brother David and sister Nicole. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you call people like Barnabas, like David and Nicole, to come and share your word with the saints and to encourage your people. And I pray that as he stands before you, and before us to share your word, that you would fill him with the Holy Spirit and open your word with grace and eternal life, Lord, so that rivers of living water would flow from his innermost being, that you pour into his heart to enrich us, to encourage us, and to strengthen our hearts here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 
Well, good morning. It's a joy to be with you all here. It's a great privilege to, uh, in this process, not only get to know our church better and be sent out by our church, but to be with other uh, bodies of Christ and to be with people who love Jesus and to see people outside of our immediate church family who really love the Lord. And so, yeah, it's just a privilege to be here and to worship Jesus with you all. And now to open the word. I have a, a, a couple PowerPoint slides here, and uh, I'm trying to connect with my phone to control that, but we might just skip that, um, which would be totally fine. But yeah, what, what I aim to do in this uh, sermon slash sharing time is to share a little bit about our story and our testimony. And my prayer is that through that you'd be encouraged and, and pressed on in your walk with the Lord. Um, in, in obedience to whatever God may be calling you to, and then also to open the Word and just share a bit uh, from Matthew 28, from the Great Commission passage. Uh, every time I study the Word, I'm just blown away by how deep and rich and good it is. But if you don't mind, I'll just pray again. Um, Father, I just pray you would speak through me. I have nothing good to offer apart from you. And I pray that you would... Um, open our eyes to see in your word wondrous things, that you would enable me as I share my testimony to glorify you and to lift high the power of Christ in this glorious gospel that you have given us. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So as Phil said, my wife Nicole here, um, we've been married for seven years, um, known each other for about ten years. We have a two-year-old Colton, um, our little baby Peter, um, yeah, 36 days in the NICU, he was born quite early, and we thought uh, it was very likely he was going to be miscarried early on in his pregnancy, so just lots of prayer uh, went into his life, and we're deeply grateful for and what God has done in him. <clears throat> we both have felt a strong desire for missions for many years, from our childhood, actually. Um, by the grace of God, we were raised in families who loved the Lord and read his missionary biographies and, and led us in the way of God. Uh, and both of us, though, went through a period of time, me more profoundly than Nicole, of really questioning, like, is Jesus really who he claims to be? Is this gospel really real? And I want to share a little bit about that process in my life, my testimony of how God really got a hold of my life. I remember sitting in church when I was about eight years old and for the first time really clearly understanding that the death I deserved, Jesus took. And that the life in favor of God that I did not deserve through my belief in Christ, I received. And, and I remember understanding that. I remember having a deep desire for the things of God, a love for God. But as time went on, um, I, I deeply struggled in, in having a lot of hypocrisy in my life. I had cyclical patterns of sin of, uh, through my teen years of just... Um, yeah, just not having victory over sin. And so I tried everything. I was like, maybe I need to pray more. Maybe I need to read my Bible more. Maybe I need to fast. Maybe I need accountability. Maybe I need better accountability, right? Just checking the things off the list. What can I do? And, and none of that worked. Um, and God brought me to a crisis point of saying, like, all right, either Jesus is real. Jesus is who he says he is. He gives meaningful salvation from sin, or I'm out. I can't live this uh, 
can't live a lie. About that time, God brought me um, to Ellerslie, the, this Bible school in, in Windsor that um, uh, this uh, conference is at. And uh, yeah, I remember just wrestling with this, this crisis in my life while I was there. And, and one of the guys who worked there came up to me and, and he opened Romans 6 and he said, he brought up the verse 7, and I'll read 6 and 7 here. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Romans 6, 7. And he looked at me and he said, do you believe you're set free from sin? And I couldn't give him a straight answer. How could, I be, how could I say I'm free from sin? Clearly, experientially, I'm not free from sin. I keep falling into sin. So I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't say that. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm having a conflict of truth claims. I'm having a conflict in my mind of what God says is true about those who believe in him. God says those who believe in him are free from sin, are free from the enslaving power of sin that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. My experience said, you're definitely not free from sin. And Satan loved that I believe that, right? And so I, I, was, I saw this, this conflict of truth claims, and by God's grace, I was able to humble myself and say, God, I don't see this perfectly and understand this perfectly, but by faith, I repent of my sin, and I believe that what your word says is true. Now, your, what your word says sets the standard of truth that, praise God, nothing else can alter. Not my experience, not my living. God's word reigns true. And, and what I had was not a problem in me getting all the right checklist items checked off. No, it's a belief problem. The problem of God bringing me to a place of humility and belief that I indeed, as a child of God, am free from sin the enslaving power of sin, and I'm free to choose righteousness. That is the nature of faith, is to uh, accept something as truth, to, to believe in something that we may not fully see and understand in that moment. That's the nature, if you, if you turn the page, if you're in Romans to uh, chapter 8, it's the nature... Um, of hope, chapter 8, verses 24. And just quickly, as far as faith in, in Hebrews 11, faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. And Romans 8 talks about hope. For in this hope, verse 24, in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. The very nature of hope is in something we don't yet see. And so God brought me to a place of faith in what the truth claims of the gospel were about me and just turned my life upside down. And, and uh, I just praise God for his grace in that moment. And there's a reinvigoration of this call towards missions. As I, uh, in Romans 6.11, as it says, I considered or reckoned myself dead to sin. And I, uh, of course, it's not been perfection since then, but a clear trajectory of freedom. And I praise God for the power of the gospel. It is, uh, I'm unashamed, as Paul said, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the power of God for salvation to those who believe.
I hope that's encouraging to you, just my personal testimony there and, and how God really gripped my life. Nicole and I met about that time. We weren't dating, but we ended up on a team of six people who flew to South Sudan. And we were supporting two long-term workers there. And we flew a small Cessna into the mountains there to this unreached group called the Dedinga people. And we taught from creation to Christ's return for the first week. And uh, with a group of people that the missionaries had been working with. In the second week, we were going to go and work with the group that the missionaries hadn't had bandwidth to go out to yet. And so we hiked into these hills out to people who'd never seen an outsider. Out to people who not only, you know, had not seen an outsider, but hadn't ever had a chance even to hear the gospel. And these people didn't have like village centers. They had little family hut compounds just spread evenly out throughout the hills. So we're going from compound to compound, inviting them to come hear a message from God, to hear the gospel. And eventually, as the day, as it started to get dark, we had to turn around, recognizing that, you know, like, how do you make that decision to turn around, knowing that the people the next hill over have never heard, have never seen outside, or nonetheless heard the gospel? So as we flew out of there the next week, Nicole and I both, there's a significant time of the Lord impacting us as we're flying out over these hills, and just as far as we can see, we see huts scattered out. We realize the desperate need for workers who will go to places like this and bring the gospel. And the desperate need for places, unlike this place that had two long-term workers, that there's places like this in the world that don't have any long-term workers. And God used that to, again, press upon us this, this goal, this desire to bring the gospel to unreached peoples and places. Paul says, how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard, right? And right before that, he talks about everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the hope for the people in places like this without access to the gospel is that God is not a discriminator of persons. He saves those who call upon him. But how are they to call upon him of whom they've never heard? God was using these things to impress upon us, and I pray he uses that to impress upon you the urgent need of unreached peoples and places to hear the gospel of Jesus. So we got back, um, long story short, the guy's version of the story, of course, as we, we started dating, we got engaged and got married. And uh, I would have said, in a year we're overseas. You know, I was like, let's do this. Idealistic. Um, and some of that was good, I think, you know, but, but um, I was finishing up nursing school, and, and in that passion, I, I believed, and I still believe, God led us out to Greeley here. We were over by the Home Depot, uh, and we moved there with uh, six other people, young people, and we're like, what if we just live together in mission, in prayer, and seek to see the refugee community in Greeley reach for Christ, and, and, and use that as just pouring our lives out as we prepare to go overseas. And we did that, and it, uh, we really just fell right on our faces. There's a number of things that we weren't sent out by a church. We didn't have leadership established in that team. Nicole and I weren't ready in our marriage for that. Um, ultimately, there's some things I don't even understand about that, and that's okay, but it was definitely the hardest time of our lives, of God just peeling back layers and humbling us in a deep way and that was good. That's what I needed. That's what we needed. God gives grace to the humble. And, uh, 
And he took us to a point about a year in where we just said, we need to back out of this. We need, and, and we believe God was telling us, David, you, uh, you guys need to find a church, submit to it, humble yourselves, and be discipled, and reevaluate in three to five years where things are at. And I don't know exactly, like, that timeline was from the Lord or not, but almost exactly five years ago, we ended up at Windsor Community Church in Windsor. And, and they welcomed us and loved us and, and led us through a lot of discipleship. In our marriage for that first year, I went through a two-year like leadership discipleship program that they have later on. And, and partway through that, um, through our church leadership, they just really encouraged us to begin pursuing missions again. And it's like spiritually, there's this green light to, to chase after this again of what we have believed for a long time. Our call from the Lord is to give our lives to take the gospel and plant churches among unreached peoples and places. So I ended up leaving. I, I worked for about five years as an ICU nurse. I ended up leaving that job and working with our church as a missions intern for a short period before we leave in August. Um, I'm helping just us prepare, and I'm helping our church prepare and create a resource for assessment and training and on-field support of missionaries and receiving them when they come back, um, which I hope will be a tool in the hands of the church for doing this well. And then uh, also just grateful to be able to go and, and preach at a number of different churches like this and just seek that God will stoke the flame that's there in the heart of his people to see the nations reached for Jesus. Well, as I mentioned, in August, we'll head out to a program called Radius International down in Mexico. That's about a year-long specific training for those who want to go long-term to unreached people groups. Um, and we'll spend, we'll be there till June of next year. And we'll be back for uh, hopefully a couple months and then head overseas. Um, we have some open doors in Central Asia. I'll be doing a vision trip there early August. Uh, but we're just praying that God will... Um, bring a team around us. We already have a couple that we're going with to Mexico um, and that he'll really confirm that place uh, where he's leading us. But that's, yeah, that's our story. That's where we are, um, we're at in this journey. That's where God has led us and uh, just rejoice in the faithfulness of God um, in our lives in many different ways in, in leading us to the Lord and humbling us and in, in his patience as, as, we, as we seek to follow him and obey him. If you are interested in staying in touch with us, there's a newsletter sign up in the back there on that table. And then I think uh, Phil said we'll probably send out a, a link. Um, and that's just an easy way to stay in touch, to pray for us. If God were to lead you to commit to pray for us, we're praying that there'll be five people who will commit to pray for each of the four of us and say, we're going to come alongside you, and we're going to commit to pray for you along this journey. So that's something you're interested in. Um, of course, there's financial needs, but we don't assume that uh, God would lead you in that way, but um, we'd be grateful. And then, uh, yeah, um, just through the newsletter, just to stay in touch, and uh, we, we'd appreciate that. But, yeah, I hope you found that encouraging, but um, ultimately I'm here to preach from God's Word. And so let's take... The second half here, to open up our Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew 28. This has been a rich passage 
for me as I have studied it. It's one I'm sure a lot of you have know and have heard before, but as I kind of took a deep dive into this, it's been a deep well of encouragement to me. As God is leading us forward in, in the reality of, of God leading us in this direction sets in where we're like, we're leaving in a little over two months. Like, are we crazy? And then the comfort of God to reaffirm us in this call and been passages like this that have been deeply encouraging. And, and I hope it'll be encouraging to you that the Spirit of God will work through this in whatever ways God has clearly led you to, to follow through with courageous obedience in your walk with the Lord. My goal in this sermon, this short sermon, is that we would rejoice together in the authority of Christ. That we would rejoice in the authority that Jesus has in such a way that leads us to courageous obedience to the Great Commission. So let's read the text. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, the end of the age. So we walk through this passage, we're going to look at a number of observations, but really highlight some key truths. And out of those key truths, explore what does application look like for the body of Christ. And then, and then we'll, we'll close. So starting at the top in verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, he's talking to his disciples, the 11 disciples, we see that in verse 16, and he he said to them, he was speaking to them together. And I think that's where we can draw from this as we consider Jesus could have said, Thomas, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. But, But Jesus said to them together, this command. And I think we can draw from that that this is not an individual command. This is not a command Jesus gave to an individual disciple, but a command he gave to the disciples. And it's not a commission that he gives to just a select member or two of the church, but he has given this great commission to the church together as a corporate command that the church, to the church belongs the responsibility and the privilege of seeing the gospel brought to the nations. This is the purpose of God, that people of all nations would worship him, and and therefore it's our purpose as people of God to join him in that. So does that mean that we all must go, that the call of God then is everyone packs up and leaves? No, it's not what we see in Scripture. We see in Scripture people like Paul, who had a particular call, who said in Romans 15 that it was his ambition to preach the gospel, not where Jesus had been named. He had a particular call to go to places where Jesus was unknown. And then we see in Scripture, so, so we see in Scripture then that some will go. And then we see in Scripture some will send. Acts 13, the church laying hands on Paul and Barnabas. The apostle John, writing to the church in 3 John, he, he says that the church ought to support workers like these, that they may be, and I quote from uh, 3 John, fellow workers for the truth. So that in going... Or in sending, it's, it's with biblical authority that we say we are fellow workers in this task. We are fellow workers for the truth to see the Great Commission obeyed. 
Next part of uh, verse 18, all authority. What does Jesus say to them? He says, and he opens all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this is the first key truth I want us to really soak in. Jesus has total authority over all things spiritual and natural, even in the middle of suffering and even in death. I think if if we think about the disciples' response to this claim of Jesus that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, I I think they might have been a little confused. The disciples, if you remember, they had this mindset of the Messiah coming and delivering them from Roman oppression. Right? And we know that their mindset of, the, of Jesus coming and establishing the kingdom of Israel to its glory days was still something they were thinking, even after Jesus rose from the dead. Because in Acts 1-6, right before Jesus ascended, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So if you're thinking through that mindset, and Jesus makes this claim, I'm sure they were in total awe that Jesus had risen from the dead and, and, and beginning to catch it. But at the same time, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. I think their response might have been, wait a second, like the disciple you chose that's been with us for years just betrayed you. You just went through a, a sham trial and were tortured and killed. All authority, what just happened? I think this might have sounded off because we usually associate authority with comfort, right? It's the king. If you have authority, you're going to use it. For your comfort, for your security, it's the king who has the best food, it's the king who has the best guards, the best house. So how could Jesus Christ, the God-man, claim all authority and then just have been killed like this? I think if we look closely at what happened, we can see in God's word that not once during this time did God lose his slip, lose his hold of of authority. Not once during the crucifixion of Christ did the authority of God was it not in total control. One example would be in the betrayal, Judas, who goes to the chief priests and betrays Jesus. And the chief priests pay him 30 shekels of silver. And then remember, Judas changed his mind. He goes back into the temple. He throws the silver. And the chief priests deliberate together and buy a potter's field. So in, the, in the chapter before uh, 28 here, Matthew 27, it says, they took counsel and bought with it the potter's field as a burial place for strangers, and thus was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. So there's a prophecy from Jeremiah about this specifically. And they took 30 pieces of silver, and they gave them for a potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Do you see that? That even in the midst of this crucifixion, of this betrayal, that the exact amount the chief priest took out of the money bag was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Christ. That as they deliberate and decide to buy a potter's field, that they are doing the will of God. That God reigns in that moment in total authority. The second example, Psalm twenty-two, eighteen: They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Thousands of years later, Jesus crucified on the cross we see in Matthew 27:35, and when they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. In the darkest of moments, in the moments where it would have seemed most rational for the disciples to question the authority of Jesus, to question the authority of God in the situation that he still was in control, 
at that moment when the devil was working through sinful men to crucify the king of kings and the greatest injustice ever, in the moment when the disciple whom Jesus chose betrayed him, God reigned in total control. By the will of God, Christ defeated death with death, and he took that darkest of moments and turned it into the brightest hope and the greatest triumph over death and the devil. Remember Pilate talking to Jesus. He says, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus, one of the few times he speaks during the trial, in effect says, no. He says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Jesus has total authority over all things spiritual and natural, even in the darkest of moments. Verse 19 of our text. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We're commanded to make disciples. So we must ask, what is a disciple? A disciple of Jesus is is someone who is a follower of Jesus. It's a radically Jesus-centered concept. That a disciple believes in Jesus for what Jesus has said he has done and who he says he is. A disciple walks in fellowship with Jesus. A disciple obeys Jesus. Jesus talked about discipleship in Mark 8. He says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would seek to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses my life, his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. So this Jesus who holds total authority says that to follow me, you must come under that authority. A disciple is not greater than his master. Jesus promised that if they hated me, they will hate you. That there will be suffering. But in the paradox of the Gospel, if we try to protect ourselves from suffering and we seek to save and hold on to our life, we will lose it. But if we lose our life for his sake, for the sake of the Gospels, we'll find it. We'll find something. We'll find someone, right? We'll find Jesus, something so precious that transcends the circumstances of life. Peter says in uh, his first epistle, 1 Peter 4.13, he says, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So in the darkest moments of our life, when we recognize that we see dimly, we don't understand it all. We rejoice insofar as we share the sufferings of Christ. Why? That you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So that at the end, when we see clearly, when the glory of God is revealed, and we see throughout history, we can say, I knew it. That's why I rejoiced in that moment. Because I knew, I didn't understand it then, but I knew God was working. I knew God was working in these circumstances to glorify himself and lift himself up high to work for my good and the good of his people. That's the kind of faith-filled commitment that Jesus describes when he talks about discipleship and being a disciple of Jesus. Make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. The word nations here is ethne. It's used to describe a group of people who hold a common culture and language, and it's 
where the term people group comes from. In, in this verse, we're commanded to make disciples of all nations, of all people groups. And Jesus here gives that as a specific command. Note that Jesus could have said, go and make as many disciples as possible. But he specifically emphasizes, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. It's a specific instruction that requires intentionality from those who follow that command. To, to recognize the extent of this, that we're to make disciples here and to the extent of the ends of the earth. If you, as part of your job, were instructed to open a store in every state in the U.S., it would be a right interpretation of that job to emphasize those states that didn't yet have a store in it. And so it's a right interpretation of this command. It's a right understanding to say, we need to go and make disciples, especially in, among peoples where there are no disciples, where disciples are not being made. It's, it's a correct interpretation of this command to recognize that Jesus here, holding all authority, commands the church to give themselves to making disciples of all nations, particularly nations who are unreached. Is it right? I think we should ask, though. I mean, have a, an open discussion of, is it right to emphasize the unreached in that way? Is it right to say that Jesus, in this command, is saying particularly to emphasize the unreached? I think so. I think it is, it is right to emphasize the unreached. And for three reasons. Reason number one, we see the emphasis of God throughout Scripture that all peoples would glorify him. We see that in Abraham, right? That through his offspring, all the families, the nations, people groups of the earth would be blessed. Paul says in Galatians, that word offspring is a specific reference to Jesus. We see in the Psalms language like, may God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, that your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Psalm 67. We see in the prophets God's jealousy that the people will know that I am the Lord. We see it in Jesus' commands. We see it in Paul's life. We see it in Revelation 5, where Jesus says he's ransomed a people of every tribe and tongue, right? Revelation 7. Every nation of all tribes and peoples and languages coming around the throne. So reason number one, is it right to emphasize the unreached? The call to bring the gospel to all nations echoes throughout Scripture. Reason number two, there is still great need among unreached peoples. 42% of the world population is classified as unreached by missiologists. And what that means is there's no meaningful access to the gospel. Maybe there's believers there, but they're insufficient to reach the, their own people with the gospel. So it requires someone to learn the culture and language and cross that boundary to meaningfully reach these people. There's some dispute about that 2% number, it's, or I forget if I just said that or not, but it's less than 2% evangelical is where they classify that. But if you take that one step further to what they call frontier people groups, it's less than 1.1% evangelical and no known gospel movement. As far as we know, no disciples making disciples, no churches planting churches. So less than point, maybe some Christians, but really no gospel movement going on. 
24.8% of the world population. No access to the gospel. There's still significant need. That is the second reason I believe we should emphasize this. The third reason is that there's great disparity in resources being committed to this task. Out of every 100 missionaries that are sent out, one goes to unreached peoples. Out of every, or four go to unreached peoples, one go to frontier people groups. Out of every 100 missionaries that go, only four go to the unreached. One goes to the frontier people groups. Out of every $100 given, not to ministry, to missions, $1 goes to ministry among the unreached. This is staggering. And And let me say here that local ministry is totally necessary. It is biblical and right to work locally, to see the lost reached here, to strengthen disciples. As one pastor said, local ministry is totally necessary, but global ministry is tragically neglected. And for those three reasons, that the call to bring the good news of the gospel to all nations echoes throughout Scripture, that there remains significant need in the world, and that there's a disproportionate amount of resources being committed to meet that need, I believe it is right and biblical to emphasize and to say that Jesus calls us, commissions us to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, particularly to the unreached. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I think if we think about that command, go and make disciples, we should feel terribly inadequate. How am I to make a disciple of the caliber that Jesus talks about? Well, it's good if we feel inadequate. And I think if we look at what Jesus says here, he gives two descriptives of this disciple-making work. He says, baptize them and teach them. Right? And I wonder if you've ever thought, I don't know, as I was reading this, I was like, why did he say baptize? Why does Jesus emphasize baptism here? And I think it's because baptism presents a full picture of the gospel. It functions as this final public step of obedience and the conversion of someone from the world to Christ. It's symbolic of the beginning of life and faith in Jesus Christ and the joining of the fellowship of God's family. It's an identification in, in the death of Jesus and his resurrection, symbolic of the new birth, this union we have in Christ, this new birth that we're forgiven and beyond the amazing, unspeakable gift of forgiveness that we're unified with Christ to walk in newness of life. That's the hope of making disciples, is the power of God and salvation. And that is another key truth here, that Jesus in his authority has mightily saved us. And he offers this mighty salvation to the world. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Note that Jesus doesn't say, you're just to teach them the, the commands. He says, teach them to observe the commands. And that speaks to this power of the gospel. As it says in Romans, Romans 8. Let me just turn there quickly. For God, verse 3, if you're following along here in Romans 8. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Do not walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. 
And I believe Paul is pointing here, and we see throughout Scripture that there is meaningful salvation offered in the gospel. There is power in the gospel that the righteousness commanded by Christ in his commandments can be observed by the disciples of Christ as we walk in growing repentance and faith in him. Verse 20 of our text in Matthew 28, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That he is with us. I love the song as we sang this morning, He leadeth me, what a friend we have in Jesus. That Jesus, in all his authority, his gospel being powerful and effective, armed with this truth that we're commissioned to go with him to see the gospel brought to the ends of the earth. What more can we ask? That we get him, that the one who holds all authority, the one who's gone before us in suffering, obedience even to death, who's walked this life, that the one who now gives us the privilege of all privileges, that he is with us, that he is not distant, He's not limited by time. He's not limited by suffering. He's not powerless. He's not unavailable. He says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we can confidently say, right, in Hebrews, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Jesus, reigning in all things, promises to be with us to the end of the age. Paul says, what can we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's exalt in the total authority of Jesus over all spiritual things and all natural things. Let us exalt in this Jesus who has mightily saved us and offers this salvation to the world. And let us exalt in Jesus who's promised to be with us to the end of the age. And let us courageously Obey Jesus, who commands us to give ourselves to make disciples of all nations. What does this mean practically for us? What is the application here? You might be surprised that my application is not that you empty your wallets and move to India. It might be. That's not the application I have. I think when people hear what we're doing, they're like, oh, that is radical. The truth is, the gospel, this passage, calls us to something far more radical than moving overseas calls us to come again to the cross under the total authority of Jesus with open hands and say, I give myself fully to you. It commands total allegiance to Jesus. And that is the radical call of the gospel. So ultimately, the application of this passage is for us with open hands to say, God, what would you do? What would you have me do to be a part of obedience to this commission? Is that going? Would you... Would God be calling you to go? I think there's people who may now think, there's no chance I'd be called to go. Who God may call to go. Would you be willing with open hands to say, God, if you lead me to go, I am willing to go. Will you send? William Carey, before he went to India, famously told those around him, he said, I will go down if you will hold the ropes. You must recognize as the church together that this is not an individual commission. The whole church must take ownership of this call. Will you pray? One of the few places Jesus specifically tells us what to pray, he says, pray that laborers will be sent into the harvest. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Will you labor in prayer for those who have been sent? Those who you know, those maybe who you support currently, those you're connected with, will you labor in prayer? It's 
is a spiritual battle. There's opposition. There's natural opposition as well. It's not without difficulty that this commission will be obeyed. Will you pray for the unreached peoples? Will you give? John says in, in 3 John, it says, you will do well to send them out on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Will you lay your resources before God with open hands and give wherever he would direct you? And as a church, would you commit to take ownership of this this commission? To say, we want to take ownership and and expect that God will raise up people in our body who have this call and to take seriously the task to assess them and then to train them to make sure that they understand the gospel and the story of scripture and they have the character qualifications to stick it out for the long haul, to see disciples made. God, throughout history, has raised up workers for this task, and he will continue, continue to do so. so. Just briefly, I want to quote from John Patton. He was a missionary to the New Hebrides back in the 1800s. Went through significant suffering, lost his wife and child, but through whom God worked mightily to bring salvation to people who had never heard the gospel. And he, near the end of his life, in his autobiography, says this. He says, I have probably had my full share of abuse from the enemies of the cross, and not inconsiderable burden of trials and afflictions in the service of my Lord. Yet, as I lay down my pen, let me record my immovable conviction that it's the noblest service of which any human can, be spent, can spend or be spent, and that if God gave back my life to be lived over again, I would without one quiver of hesitation lay it on the altar of Christ, that he may use it as before in similar ministries of love, especially among those who have never yet heard the name of Jesus. Nothing has been endured and nothing can now befall me which makes me tremble. On the contrary, I deeply rejoice when I breathe the prayer that it may please the blessed Lord to turn the hearts of my children to the mission field and that he may open up their way and make it their pride Enjoy to live and die in carrying Jesus and his gospel into the heart of the heathen world. God gave his best, his son, to me, and I give my best, my all, to him. As Jim Elliott said, he's no fool. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. And you as a church, we as God's people will not be fools to give our lives with abandon, whether in going or in sending to the one who gave his best, his son, for us. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray for the joy of the nations that you would send out laborers into the harvest, that your gospel would be proclaimed, that people who have not heard would hear and believe that you'd raise up for yourselves people who will have a high view of you and an understanding of the gospel and will be a light to reach their own communities for Christ. I pray for this church. I thank you for the encouragement it is to be with them this morning, and I pray that you will press them on in the Lord. Father, I thank you for your word, how deeply rich it is, that you are the God who holds all authority that we can go forward in obedience to you, knowing that although we see dimly now and may not understand everything, you are the one in total control. 
who offers us this glorious gospel and this glorious promise that you will be with us. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, brother, for sharing your testimony and sharing the word with us this morning. I believe that was one of the most uh, balanced, well-rounded, if you will, uh, presentations of the Great Commission that I've ever heard. So many times you hear go, 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 and the emphasis just on go. And I, I really appreciated how your emphasis was on following and being sold out to Christ and allowing him to direct you on whichever uh, side of that spectrum you find yourself on where, where he puts you, and I, uh, I appreciate hearing that and hearing the passion that God has given you to go, and the encouragement for each one of us to follow his great commission, so thank you so much for sharing. That concludes this time of our service, I said uh, lunch be provided, so please stay and enjoy that and enjoy our time of fellowship. Let's all uh, stand to our feet. We'll have a closing prayer and a blessing on the meal, and then we'll be dismissed. John, would you like to lead us in closing prayer? Thank you, Lord, again for your word, Lord. And thank you for having Dave with us, Lord, and sharing his testimony, Lord. The Great Commission. We thank you how that you do give authority, Lord, and give your word, and I have to think of that verse, Lord, that that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead can also dwell in us, Lord, and I thank you for that. I pray this spirit, Lord, that Dave was sharing with would be in each one of us, Lord, that we could go about also, and having the great peace that you give, and be able to share the gospel wherever we are, Lord, we thank you. We also thank you, Lord, for the food, Lord, fellowship, that you would just be with us the rest of this day and the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.